Last week, we talked about something I thought was very important. We used the concept of the sun, S-O-N. How sons, and by the way, I want to say this again, son, when I mention son, I also mean daughters. But you'll hear me mention son because of the fact that the inheritance in the Bible is always brought, is always talked about as a son. But women are inheritors as well. And women are co-laborers with the creator. I don't know and I will never know what it is to have a child or another heartbeat inside of me. I'll never know. I'm okay with that. I'll never know. But you can say as women that you are co-laborers in creation. You have another heartbeat inside of you as your heartbeat goes. That's, that is just unexplainable. But I will tell you this. The promises are for sons and daughters alike. Last week, the, the topic was regarding Elijah, Elisha. I talked about Gehazi. I talked about King Jehoash. Talked about all those different areas. But this, today, I want to define the type of sons that, are, that were found in First and Second Kings. Today I want to define the different sons that right now we run into. There are four kinds of sons. There's the obedient son. There's the prodigal son. There's the adopted son. And then there's the faithful son. Now you would say, well, obedience should be faithful. Well, it depends. Because sometimes you can be obedient without knowing what you're obedient to. You can obey a rule that you don't understand. We talked about that last week. The area of saying, I'm, being, I'm doing everything God tells me to do, but your obedience is wrong because you're not really understanding what to obey. Where when you are a faithful son, the faithfulness will even be there even when you make the mistake because you're being faithful. Faithful God sees. And sometimes we want to humanize God. So what we get mad at, we think God is mad at that. You know, God will take you out. No, that's you want that person to be taken out. It's not you. It's you. And so we want to humanize God. He gets angry. Right now, God is so angry. He's so angry at you. How do you know? You think you're the only passage? Of persons that he's actually dealt with? Do you think in all these thousands of years, you are the center of it all? It's all about you. He know, He's listening to you. He's acting because you're acting out. He's acting out. No. God does not look at things the way we do. Do you know why? Because he has an omnipresence. An omnipresence means that he's already there when the things are happening. And he's there when the solution is taking place. You didn't hear what I said. Omnipresence means that he is present there at that moment. And even the solution, he's at the solution as well. He's there when things were going bad, when it was starting to look bad, and when you were right there in front of the person and the solution. That means that God, in his dealings with things, he's not surprised. You don't go, surprise, and God goes, oh. For God, it's not about a surprise. It's about you walking in his promise. So he doesn't say, okay, you messed up today, so guess what? 
you know, I'm going to present to you hell. And I want you to know that hell exists in fire and brimstone. The love of God is sufficient to draw people to the feet. Prophets that still use Old Testament style of drawing people to God are still before the Holy Communion. Y'all didn't get that one. The New Covenant has supplied and became sufficient for the wrath of God. The wrath has been, listen, the wrath has been, and the Bible says it, the wrath has been satisfied by the Son of God. So the Son took it all because he knew that if we took it, we'd be done. But Jesus died a human, but rose to dead, rose from the dead as a God. Let me say that again. That's why he's 100% man and 100% God. Because he died a human, but he rose up as God. And that combination allows us access. So the obedient son. I want to explore the relationship between sons and fathers as shown in the word. Because when you think of a son and a father, you must think of the map of the universe. The universe only knows that relationship. Why? Because the son and the father created the universe. As a matter of fact, I love the way in Hebrews chapter 1, it speaks of the relationship between father and son. So I'm going to read that really fast so you understand how it really worked between the son, Jesus the Christ, and the father. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to start there. We'll start with verse 5. Oh, actually, no. Let's start with verse 3. It says here, please listen to every word. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains, who sustains everything? The sun sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the son is far greater than the angels, just as the name of God that God gave him is greater than their names. Understand something. The son of God, who's also God, is a description of a relationship in time and out of time. Let me go further. We're so linear in our thoughts that we can't see beyond out of time. We don't know what that means, out of time. Everything has to have a beginning and an end. But with God, Jesus, he gave us a glimpse of eternity and a glimpse of being on earth. So when we find out the relationship between the son and the father, the son is always giving credit to the father. He's always acknowledging the father. A good son will always acknowledge the father. 
whether it's the heavenly father, whether it's an earthly father or a spiritual father. That's the desire of the son. So look what it says here. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, you are my son. Today I have become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, let all of God's angels worship him. Regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. But to the son, he says, ooh, this is powerful. To the son. This is the father, God the father, speaking to Jesus the son. He says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. God just called the son God. Did did y'all catch that? God the Father is telling the Son, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. He then tells them, you rule with the scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you. This is a conversation between father and son. Therefore, oh God, he's still, God is still acknowledging his son as God. Therefore, oh God, you're God. So God is being God to God. I'm your God, but you're my God. I understand that because in time and out of time, you are omniscient, omnipresent, This conversation by the author of Hebrews is such a powerful captured moment of a relationship that needs to be acknowledged here on earth because a true father doesn't always want to be the one to say, here I am. The father wants to acknowledge a son and say, you have it. What I have, I defer to you. Oh my God. I give you deference as you give me deference. And we know what deference is. Deference is the willful submission to the whims and wishes of another. You got to give it. And the father gave it to the son. That's why he said, he says, your God, God, your God. (laughs) He says, but the son, he says, look what else he says. Let's go to verse, verse eight. But the son, he says to the son, your throne on God, oh God endures forever and ever. You rule with the scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, oh God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Then he goes, he also says to the son, this is the part. This is the part that lets you know that everything the father has is for the son. But the son created it. Twilight zone. He also says to the son, In the beginning, Lord. So wait, hold on. Is this still God talking to Jesus? So God just told Jesus, Lord. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak. And discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. 
Do you know that every time you move in the character of Jesus, you are participating in the lifestyle of God? Oh, God has a lifestyle. And his lifestyle is in opposition of the things that the world tries to offer. There were two things Jesus said to beware of. And these two things he was very adamant about. Because he mentions it, he says it, and then he shows what they are. He says, beware the yeast of the Pharisee and of Herod. He tells his disciples that. Of course, their lack of understanding leads them to food. Has that happened to anybody? Here we're talking about the bread of life and you're hungry. And you want some of that bread of life. They didn't understand. So he had to take it a step further. He talked about treading on snakes, serpents, and scorpions. Serpents and scorpions. We talked about that. The power of those two elements How this world consists of those who would think they know everything and know nothing at all because they think they know it all. And their posture is always a posture of, I already know that. So because their posture is like that, the FedEx truck passes them by. Oh, you already have it. Why why do we have to deliver it? You got it already. At the end of the day, our empty cup is required for us to receive something from God at the right time. And God never said to any angel, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, make them a footstool under your feet. At the end of the day, what is God saying? That if we are co-laborers, or co-inheritors, then the same thing that was given to Jesus is given to us. Why? Because when we come into the picture, something my wife said early in prayer, we're being recognized by Jesus, Jesus living in us, not by us. God says, I let you in because I just put those, you know, we're modernized, right? I put that scan thing on you, biometrics, And you look like Jesus, so you get in. You have access to my treasures here on earth because you look like my son. And my son lives in you. Therefore, when the biometrics looks at you, it sees Jesus and you get in. If it sees you, you will be rejected. Posture is everything. Do you have the character of God? Are you moving in the character of Jesus? If you understand Jesus' lifestyle, then you understand who he is. I always say this. Acts chapter 5, talk about uh, a time where these two individuals, uh, um, Sapphira. That was pretty interesting. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. We get that every now and again. Ananias and Sapphira, who told Peter... This is what we're going to give. And I need you to understand again, the understanding of the character of God. Because to understand his character, then you could be a good son. Slash daughter. And there we find Peter annoyed. Because he now, because again, when God gives you a gift, that gift belongs to you. 
even if it's going to harm people, it's the gift given to you and it can't be taken away. Somebody hear what I'm saying? The gifting you have has been granted to you by God. And at any moment, if you use that gift for harm, that's on you. But he gave it to you. Peter had a gift. Ask Malchus, who got his ear chopped off when Jesus was about to get arrested. Some people are very quick. Some sons want to protect without understanding the consequence. So they do it their way. And I believe in this particular story, some theologians will disagree with me. Every time something takes place, I always look for the character of Jesus. Because Peter wasn't Jesus, Paul wasn't Jesus. So I know that they had issues just like we do. We have tempers. Some of us spark off immediately. Some of us get angry the minute somebody looks at us the wrong way. Why are you looking at me like that? And yet, Peter was upset because they lied about how much money they had. They sold their property and did not give it all. What, what, what took place there? He used his authority and anointing and caused Ananias to die because the anointing was there. You know what I'm saying? It was the power of the Holy Spirit. But how many of us have the power of the Holy Spirit and not use it the right way? A gift is not given to, to be taken back. The word of God says when a gift is given, it will not be returned back. It is given to you. So what happens? This is how you know it's not the character of Jesus. Because, okay, Ananias, he fell dead. And you could say, well, the spirit of God knocked him out and killed him. But what about Sapphira? When she comes in, you already know the truth. Peter already knew the truth. But what did he do? He asked her. <laughs> and he said, let me ask you a question. Knowing the truth. Um, that money that you guys, you know, what happened with that money? She said the same thing her husband said, but look what he tells her. The, right now they're burying your husband in the back, and the same way they buried him, they're going to bury you. <laughs> Dead. Would Jesus had done that? Look at the three and a half years of Jesus. You can see his life in those three and a half years. And some of us want to be more glorious than Jesus. And we want to set judgment on people right away. We were given the authority and we use the authority to send people to hell. Or to tell them, no, you guess what the Lord is telling me. Don't listen. Any prophet that comes to you with this Old Testament mentality, trying to tell you, the Lord just told me you're about to get into a car crash and... I bind that in the name of Jesus. You never find Jesus doing that. When do you, when do you hear him telling someone, you know, you better, you better. And, and you know what's crazy? Jesus was in the Old Testament. Y'all ready for this? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was all Old Testament until Jesus dies on the cross. Contrary to what people think, after Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is New Testament. 
Well, New Testament doesn't start. The new covenant doesn't start till Jesus dies on the cross. So everything Jesus did was Old Testament. So he had to fulfill the law. Who's hearing what I'm saying? So some of the things he said was based on an Old Testament point of view. It was called predispensational thoughts. So he had to give the truth. You know why? Because Jesus can't lie. You know, you may have to cut your arm off and take your eye out if that causes you to sin. That was all predispensational. That was a truth that he had to give beforehand. Who's with me so far? So we find these four different kinds of sons. Let's get to that. The obedient son. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8 says, My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instructions. This teaches us the importance of heeding the wisdom and correction of our fathers, respecting their authority as they guide us in the ways of righteousness. The obedient son needs to know what you need to be obedient to because obedience requires revelation. It needs to be revealed to you before you say, I'm going to obey. Because the obedience may be jump, but jump when? So here you are, you jump in, in place, thinking that you're obedient. You present that, look, I, at least I jump. And God said, no, it wasn't there that I wanted you to jump. It was when that, that rock was coming down, the one that was thrown at you, that's when you were supposed to jump. And you didn't know that because it wasn't revealed to you. So revelation only comes through relationship. Things will be revealed when you are in relationship. So the obedient son is vital, but then there's another son that's a little little different, and that's the prodigal son. In this parable, because this is a parable, the prodigal son, Luke 15, verses 11 to 32, we find a son who said to himself, I don't need to stay here anymore. Give me my inheritance. And I'll make my business. So he did exactly that. The prodigal son went and grabbed his stuff and left the house. The father's job was not to follow. The father's job was to give and let it see what happens. What he did, though, what I love about the father is that he remained vigilant. Every day he'd come out to see if his son would come over the hills. But he didn't go to get his son. Mm. How hard is that, parents? How hard is that? When you know that your son or your daughter is eating pig food. How hard is it to know that your son didn't make it or your daughter didn't make it to not want to go out and do what needs to be done? But as a father, he had to be still and let God do what God does. But there's something in that story that leads into the son, not just the son that left, but the son that remains. Some of you will be surprised at the people that come back. Your posture on the ones that come back is also very important. The one that's in the house has a responsibility to love the brother that left. He must have been keeping an eye on him too. You know how I know? 
because he knew what he was doing wrong. He went to the father with a report. That means he must have had spies watching his, his brother. But he did, you know, what are you doing? I've been here. Look what this guy's done. But the son in the house has a responsibility to love the son outside of the house. Those who are out there right now who are in need to be here, love on them. Don't complain. They're going to be, listen, they're going to be smelly. They're going to be annoying. They're going to be all those things. You cannot allow that to cause you to not embrace them. Celebrate what the father's celebrating. Understand that the father's celebration is supposed to be what you're supposed to be doing anyway. That's the prodigal son. Then there's the adopted son. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17. Here we learn about the concept of adoption into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. When you're adopted in, that means you're grafted in. When you're grafted in, like in Romans chapter 11, when you're grafted in, that means that you're getting the nutrients of someone else who was there. Somebody was removed for you to eat. Anybody know about grafting? Grafting? Has anybody ever done that? Grafted? No? Okay. Neither have I. But what I do know in the concept is, in that place, there was something that was supposed to be there already, was removed, and because it was removed, it dried up, and the other one that was put in there now is producing fruit, but wasn't there from the beginning. We are adopted and we're placed in. We are grafted in. So we bear fruit because of being grafted in. Being adopted means that the blood of Jesus runs through our veins. The other day I was watching that video, the one I sent you. Dear Lord, administer to me. I realized that Jesus, by his blood, has granted us access. So... Why is the blood important? Guys, please, if you listen to anything else, listen to this. Why is the blood important? Because blood normally grants you access to an inheritance, right? If you're part of the bloodline. But to determine that, back in the days, it was difficult. You just had to know, right? What I know about blood is this. The enemy, the devil, Satan, has no blood. That's why he can't die for no one. Because he has no blood. No bloodline means that he cannot have children by way of blood. He can only have children by way of character. Did y'all hear that? At the end of the day, a bad character, a lying character, will be the determination of you being adopted. By Satan. Mmm. It got quiet though. Here's the thing though. The devil doesn't like this one thing. That all it takes is a moment. After he works so hard to get you into dirt. He works so hard to put you in that place. He works so hard to get you into that dark place. All you need is a moment. To get the transfusion of blood. From Jesus. That's the reason why the bloodline through Jesus the Christ is so vital. 
You are a believer because you accepted what? The blood. There are three things that you want to remember, especially when you're praying. Three things. The blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, and the resurrection power of Jesus. Those three things is what separates us. And the thing is, it's not about being perfect. It's about allowing God to continue to perfect himself in you. He's perfect. He's who I'm with. Lastly, the faithful son. Now, let me read this really fast because I think it's important. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Abba Father, Daddy, Dada, because it's more personal. There's a level of, you don't just, you know, that's my, you can say that's my father or that's my dada. That's my daddy. There's, there's an intimate level there. So it says here, this adoption, obviously into God's family, is what's required. And it grants us an incredible inheritance as his sons and daughters, including the gift of the Holy Spirit. What are the gifts? Gifts are easy. Wisdom. You notice when someone starts to move away from God, when they start losing their sonship, they start to make no sense. All right. When you start moving away from God, you start thinking differently, and the things you start to say make no sense. Because one of the first things that happens when you lose fear of God, you lose wisdom. Because wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now, what are we talking about? Fear, oh my God, he's here. No. The fear of God is being in awe of God. Revere, deference, submission. The minute you remove that, it's a problem. So wisdom, after wisdom is what? Understanding, knowledge. Wisdom, knowledge, faith. Knowledge is an area that is part of the gift of the Spirit. There's things that you know that you don't know how you know. Sometimes I'll, I'll start speaking. I'm like, oh, what did I just say? Equations come out of my mouth, and I'm like, I know I never learned that. But it's a gift that comes with being connected. That's part of the nine gifts of the Spirit found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Each one of those gifts is required for the body of Christ. It's like a bunch of superheroes. Everyone does their thing. Anybody like X-Men? Don't lie. Some of y'all lie because you didn't raise your hand. All right. I love the X-Men. Cyclops I thought was useless. It's messed up, right? Because I'm like, okay, so you can throw beams from your eyes. But it wasn't like, ugh. You, yeah, you could cut things in half, but you have no real control. You can't even look somebody in the eye. You, you'll burn them up. But it was still a power necessary. And they came together and they formed a group. And that group was formed based on everyone acknowledging each other's power. What do you have? What do I have? What does my wife have? What do I have? I know her strengths. She knows mine. 
I know her weaknesses. She knows mine. But together we work as a team. That's the body of Christ. We work together as a team. We're, we're more than assembled X-Men or assembled Avengers. Each one of us has the ability, and so we need to find out what that is. The last thing you want is to move into something that you are not good in. You fail because that's not you. And you're trying to figure out, am I going to be able? No, you're not because your failure is not based on how bad you are. Is that you're in the wrong lane. I told you about my football experience. Yeah, I got some heads looking up now. I played outside linebacker. I'll pop you so hard. And the thing about it is that I loved outside linebacker, but it wasn't until a coach figured it out. I played semi-pro football. Not NFL, but right before that. And in that process, I realized I would not have gone that far if some coach did not realize I was crazy whack on offense. I was not an offender. I was a defender. So when I first started playing, I was already on the list to get cut. They wanted me out. Why? Because I didn't know how to run the ball. But they put me on the other side of the line. They put me on defense. And when I got on defense, I now was looking for the person who had the ball. My attitude changed. My posture changed because now I was in my lane. When you're in your lane, you're ready to take out because you know what you're doing. And I realized, wow, had that coach listened to the other coach and said, we got to cut Pena, he ain't doing too good. I, wouldn't, I would not have gone that far. You know, I dare say, if that sequence of my life would not have taken place, I wouldn't be here right now in front of you. Why? Because I tore my ACL and I ruptured my meniscus, which allowed me a whole year to get into God. You didn't hear what I said. My tragedy was my trajectory. It allowed me to move to the next level. It was a bad moment that allowed me to open up the word and go, okay, I, got, I can't do anything else while my leg was doing this because I had this operation. You remember that, shorty? It was bad. But that bad moment was preparation. Guys, I speak to everyone here. Don't look at your bad moment as a moment where God forgot about you and rejected you. It is that moment where God's preparing you. Your desert is better than the beach. And it has sand. And the, that place that God puts you in is to depend on him more than yourself. Because our desire to depend on ourselves is so strong that even when we say God will do it, but how much is it? God will do it, but give me the, give me the, the, the breakdown. Which one is it? God will do it or you're going to do it? No, but you must be prudent. That's the famous one. You got to be prudent and wise. But then where is God going to be in that? God needs to be in that. And purpose and process is part of the increase that God does in our lives. Lastly, let's explore the faithful son. 
who follows in his father's footsteps, emulating his virtues and values. 1 Corinthians 4, 15 to 16. It says, For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ, Jesus, when I preached the good news to you. So when is it that it happens? Guys, I can bring somebody to church. It doesn't mean that I'm your spiritual father because I brought you to church. We would have a melee of scenarios, right? My, the reason why I would be a spiritual father is because there's training involved. There's relationship involved. There's pouring into involved. It doesn't just happen. Paul understood this principle. That's why he, when he said this to the church of Corinth. It was because he was already pouring into them. He was already giving them the tools necessary. And don't ever confuse a spiritual father with an earthly father. That's the biggest mistake you can ever make. Because I ain't going shopping with you. We ain't going to TJ Maxx. It's not my job to do that. I'm not buying you the, the best Tim's or whatever it is that's out there right now. I'm not going to do that because it is not my job to do that. But some people who lose their fathers or don't have fathers, their concept of father is, oh, you got to do that for me now. No. And nor do I want to take the role. Because that is who God's called me to do one specific thing. And that area in that lane, I must stay in it. But I'm also not your heavenly father. I will not be the one you pray to. Don't go looking for me. Talking about, well, you know, you know the answer. No, I don't. I'm looking for the answer just like you. We're going to pray together on this one. You want me to intercede with you? I can do that. I can come in agreement if it's the will of God. I'll come in agreement. But don't go looking for me to, all right, thank you, son. Here I go. Car, show up. That will not happen. So I am not your heavenly father, and I'm not your earthly father. And for some of you, I could be a pastor, and I stay a pastor. That's fine. I'm good with that. But everything is going to be based on what you request in that relationship. And it's okay. There's nothing wrong with Guys, there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to aim for a spiritual father everywhere you go. But just know that that spiritual father is not your heavenly father. You've got to make sure that's clear because then it turns into man worship and that's what we don't want. I've been preaching this for a thousand years and, I, and it keeps getting better and better every time I hear it. It sounds better and better because we've got to make sure we learn what lane we're in. Conclusion. The word of God offers us valuable insight. And the most important part of it is relationship. We're all striving to learn what that is. We are basing relationship on past experiences. So relationship is relative. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah. It's relative to what we believe relationship is. 
So we'll give somebody a grade based on what we think relationship is, not what relationship God says is. And so if you don't fulfill that, you're X'd off. I know one time I told my father, um, because I was angry and I was immature. And I told him, yo, you just, you're not my father anymore. He let me have it. It's one of the few times my father let me have it. But I realized something. I tried to determine as a son who he is to me. Instead of who God said he is to me. As a son, it is not my right. Because if, 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 it's, if it fits it, it is it. My father, regardless of anything, how bad or good he was, it was not ever intended for it to be where he is determined to be my father based on my day-to-day with him. I ain't feeling you, so guess what? You ain't my father no more. Mm. What? Sonship is understanding that we're going to go through it. And I'm going to see you with a knife in your hand. And it's going to be so unattractive. And it's going to look like you're going to kill me. But I still acknowledge you as. Because God has created son and father. Here's the culmination of everything. The son and the father is what this is all about. And it's brought together by the spirit of God. Because we cannot forget the person Holy Spirit. Not the thing, not the feel. Did you feel the, you felt that? That's the Holy Spirit, you feel that? No, him. That's why it's three persons. And so that relationship is what we understand. It's not a male-female. It's not like Holy Spirit is a female. Like some have tried to do. Like, like, like God required what we have to do to procreate. If God requires that to procreate, then he can't be God because he has an origin. But there's no beginning to him. There is no end. He's out of time. Time is one of his creations. Oh, that's so good. I love that one. That was that. That was good. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, says that time started on the fourth day. That means in part of the creation... The first three days are not even time that we understand to be time. Y'all going going to mess me up right here. The first three days that he said morning and evening a day was not the day we calculate because it was on the fourth day that the sun and the moon and the stars were created. To do what? To calculate a day. So what was the day before a day? Just another day. See, we, we read the word and we don't realize we can't encapsulate God into the way the humans think. We're so caught up with humanity's way of doing things that we think that God is always going to do it the human way. And then so we, we judge ourselves because we think that God is treating us. He, he definitely doesn't love me right now. I invited somebody. I invited somebody to church. He's going to be here though. He's coming. And he told me, man, you don't want me to go to your church. I said, give me a good reason why. 
He said, the moment I walk in there, lightning's going to strike. Everything's going to. I said, really? That's pretty powerful. Because if you can walk in and lightning strikes when you walk in, then you might be in a good place. He said, what do you mean? I said, the problem is that you think that God thinks like you. So every dirty thing you've ever done, you think that God is looking at that and putting it on a scale. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. No. If anything, God will say, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going I'm to take care of you. He said, all right, all right. I'll walk in there one day. I don't know if you're going to like it. I said, I love the fact that you're even talking about it. Because it leads me to understand that it's already a seed in your head. And because you're talking about it to me, that means it's going to germinate. And one day, you'll be walking in here, and you're going to run into something called love. May flow H2O never lose the element of love. Who heard what I said? Where if there's one thing, listen... If you didn't understand anything that I preached today, you go, oh, I don't understand a thing he talked about. He talked about uh, pre-dispensational. I don't know nothing. If there's one thing I want you to take with you is that you felt something different in here. That love was felt by somebody you didn't even know. That there was a crossing of paths. That there was really a cross-pollination. That your bad day just turned into a good day because all of the things that would be considered as bad was just to get you to a place where you're fertilized. Some of y'all caught it. Because fertilizer is nothing more than bleep. So to be fertilized is a good thing when the seed comes to you by somebody else. That's why I believe in cross-pollination. Today, some of you are in need of identifying this area of sonship with God. I'm talking about spiritual sonship from a spiritual father, nor am I speaking of your earthly father. I'm talking about sonship with God. That trumps all the other ones, even your earthly father. But when you learn how to be a son to God, all the other ones fall in place. You didn't hear what I just said. When you learn how to be a son or a daughter to God, and you move in that, you don't have to try to be a spiritual son or daughter. It just happens automatically and organically. You don't have to call anybody. You don't have to. It happens automatically. It'll just come out your mouth. Please stand. Something's happening organically in this place. How many feel it? Look around again. Just look around. Just look around. We have an awesome spiritual son here who is the daughter church of this church in New Jersey. Pastor Zretamal, 
They were born in the flow. I saw a picture the other day of you guys getting your first certificate back in Gun Hill. That was a long time ago. But now your church is flourishing. Your children are flourishing. And your sheep are flourishing. It's okay to separate those. There's nothing wrong with that. Some will come for a season. And some will remain even when the house is burning down. What's the difference between one and the other? It's simple. When the sun sees chaos and crisis, the sun says, I'm activated to get to work. Green grass doesn't mean that's the reason why I stay. Green grass is a product of the work I did. I till the ground. I am a part of the building up. And here's the best part. I get to go inside the house and open the refrigerator because I don't have hooves. But that doesn't take away from the fact there were those who will be injured that need grass for a season. So the sons help the sheep. And the sheep help the sons because the sheep have wool. You're not hearing me. It is a cross-pollination. And I believe that this church is about to enter a new stage where we're going to run into sheep and sons and daughters. And they're going to coexist. Take a look around. This is just a glimpse of what's to come. This whole area doesn't know what's coming next. And intercessors, more than ever, you need to pray. Principalities are upset. Authorities are upset. They have agents right now trying to infiltrate. There are people out there right now in grave need of a touch from God. And you are the reason why God is preparing you to bring them in. And you say, well, I don't know that much word. You don't have to know word. Just live it. You are the living word of God because you walk it. You live it, they see it, and they read it through you. They don't open up a book. They open you up. They look at you and they go, wow, there's Jesus. That's the one I want. That's who I'm crying for. And there's something about finding the place that God's called you to be. It's almost organic. You like, you can breathe. And see, breathing is based on how much you were able to breathe before. In other words, I can say I can breathe when I'm not in the Andes Mountains because the air up there, I'm not used to. But the people there were able to breathe that. My thing is that once you're in a place and you're able to go, you realize that you weren't breathing all the other times. You were taking little breaths. You were surviving and not thriving. And right now, we're in the season of thriving, not just surviving. This merger is about thriving and not surviving. God wants to see his people know how to hold the basket instead of always depending on the basket. 
He wants to see us move around going here, take, 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 and know that at the end of the day, there are 12 baskets left over. But when we do it, when we do it, that is the difference. He sustains you because you're a sustainer. As long as you keep sustaining, he will sustain you. Because your life is connected to somebody else's life. As long as you live, they have an opportunity to live. My God. So he'll keep you strong and healthy because he knows that you are connected to another family you know nothing about. He has to keep you alive because you are connected to someone you don't know yet. You become the answer for individuals who would not listen to me. They won't take time out to listen to me. But they'll listen to you. And your voice becomes the voice that they gravitate to. And everything you learn and you take in, even if you regurgitate a little bit of it, that little bit to you is a lot to them. And now they live and they survive. Now they overflow. Now family comes through. Because the little bit that you get, you go back to your family and you give it to them. Can I tell you what we learned today? Even if you come out and say love is what we learned, that is sufficient. That is sufficient.